HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexis Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be chatting with Lauren and Joe Grimm. They are brewers, winemakers, pizza enthusiasts, and the owners of three businesses. Those are Grimm Artisanal Ales, Physica Wines, and Lala's Brooklyn Abits. The connecting thread through all three projects is Lauren and Joe's focus on spontaneous fermentation, which they've been experimenting with for nearly a decade. They use the same process to make their beers, Physica Wines, and for Lala's, they developed their own sourdough pizza recipe that uses the same culture in house-milled malted wheat that was used in Grimm's beers. So this is all very, very cool. It sounds very scientific, and I'm very excited to dive into this with you both. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. So let's go back to the very beginning and tell me how this, I guess, fascination and passion for fermentation and all this started. Where did this all kind of, what was this born out of? Mm. I you think, want to start, Lauren? I mean, I think it started uh, when we read Sander Katz's Wild Fermentation back in like 2005, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, yeah, an amazing book on DIY fermentation techniques that Joe and I uh, used as a source for all things fermented. We were making pickles and kimchi. Um, uh, what mead else? Mead was really big early on. Yeah, we made a lot of mead. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've never tried mead. Is it any good? It yeah, is it delicious. It can be. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a considered a wine, so it takes time. Um, it's delicious depending on the source of the, of the honey and, um, is very easy to make at home. It's just water and honey. Um, and it helps if you give, uh, the yeast some nutrition to 
help with the fermentation, but um, making uh, spontaneous meat is incredibly simple and delicious. Well, we can actually tell you about how to do it, how to do like an at-home, uh, extremely basic mead if you want. Really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. Our first experience in making alcohol was that. And no what you want is like a, um, you want a big jug, like maybe a, go to the store and buy the biggest, like apple juice jug you can get. Uh-huh. Uh, and then you want to mix a solution of uh, three to four parts water to one part honey. And kind of just put it out in a shallow bowl um, so that it gets exposed to the air. And then once it starts to bubble a little bit, then you want to pour it into your jug and put a balloon over the top of it. And then you'll just watch it blow up the balloon as it releases gas and ferments. And then uh, when it stops producing any more gas, then it's, you know, pretty reddish. You can no way. Off, pour it into a glass and enjoy your own homemade hooch. So and how, that, lo- yeah, how long does that take to turn into that? About two weeks. Yeah. I mean, you know, professional mead makers would probably. Uh... There's a lot. There's a lot of improvements you can make over that, right? But like, if you wanted okay. to just have, you want to make alcohol at home in an extremely simple, simplest possible way. That would would be what you would do, and that was the first thing that we yeah, ever made. Joe just described our first experiments with uh, fermented beverages. Of I course. love that. Over time, um, you know, I started making mead in a, um, a, a much more serious way and um, would, you know, age it for a year or two before it became um, something that was drinkable. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at you guys go. And so you were inspired kind of early on, I guess. What year was that again? That like 2003? Yeah, Joe and I met in Rhode Island. Um, I had just finished uh, my undergrad, and so it was about 2005. Yeah. Very cool. Look at that. And so you kind of were experimenting and honing in on this process, and then what led you to to think, okay, we should start a business, we should start a brewery, or what were kind of those next steps? Joe and I both went to the Art Institute of Chicago for grad school. And while we were there, um, we were making a lot of homebrewed beer um, as a hobby. And it became such a serious hobby that we made too much beer for us to drink ourselves. And um, we're always trying to find ways um, to give beer or sell beer to other students at school and... uh, and our friends. So occasionally we would sell beer at our friends' art gallery openings and um, music performances. We would just set up a table. Um, and uh, I think in order to make it legal, we would sell cookies and give away beer. Oh, um, smart. Yeah. And then uh, later on, we also started a a beer CSA, kind of uh, the idea of community supported agriculture, but bringing it to our homebrewed beer. Um, So, you know, people at school would sign up uh, to um, receive beer on a on a monthly basis. And we would be, you know, 
making the beer. And when it was ready, we would, you know, deliver a four pack of beer to whoever had signed up for a CSA. That's amazing. I bet you guys were pretty popular with that, huh? <laughs> well, it was sort of a time when we were learning so much that we wanted to be brewing like several times a week. And we just couldn't, we couldn't possibly drink all that beer. So we just had to find somewhere for it all to go. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, and it sounds like a, obviously it led you down a path that worked out well. So you're selling slash giving away beer, practicing, and then what happened next? Or actually one more question before that, what was like the feedback Were like people saying, this is great. You guys should do this. Or like, what were people saying who were trying kind of your earlier products? People loved it. Um, actually, when we decided to start um, start our own brewery uh, and we were searching for loan money, um, we we got um, you know people to write letters of, of interest and feedback um, who had been uh, you know the early pe- supporters. yeah early supporters at the art gallery openings um, and yeah I think that was really what um, made us feel confident about the idea of starting our own brewery and selling beer, um, you know, commercially. Um, The next step we, you know, we moved to New York city uh, both to continue our art careers. um, And while we were here, we were working odd jobs to pay our bills, which wasn't that as much fun (laughs) as, um, as starting our own business. So, we both thought, wow, we've been making this, you know, beer for a long time. People love it. Why don't we try to, you know, get a license and make it professionally? Um, so uh, that led us to become nomadic brewers. Uh, we didn't have money to um, invest in our own equipment. So instead, Joe and I would travel around the East Coast and, um work with partner breweries, uh, to make the beer that we were selling in New York city. And I think at that point, you know, we grew, uh, a cult following of beer enthusiasts, um, who would follow around, uh, trucks delivering our beer from retailer to retailer. It was pretty amazing. Wow. No kidding. So, you were doing kind of pop-up-y type vibes before they were cool, it sounds like. Um, it was a little different. So basically what what we ran into was that it, you know, it costs millions of dollars to start a brewery because the facility totally. is an intense, like, industrial plant, essentially, that you have to mm-hmm. build. And, you know, we didn't, we didn't have that. So what it, what it was more than a pop-up was that we were just writing recipes and we would order ingredients and have them shipped to a brewery that we'd worked out a deal with. And then we'd, we'd travel to that brewery, make a batch of beer and then sell that to a distributor who would like send it out to bars. And oh, okay. Here in the city. Cool. So when we started up, we didn't ever have like that place um, where you could come, you couldn't go to Grimm for the first five years of Grimm's existence, but it was an, it was a great time to be starting it up because this was the really early days of like the real explosion of craft beer in, in America. Um, yeah. It was like 2013. 
when we made our first batches. And there wasn't really anything else going on in New York at that time. Very few other breweries in existence. So uh, we rode that wave and that was like, it was great. Yeah, you guys had great timing with that because now I feel like they're kind of, you know, throw a rock and you can hit a brewery in New York City. So getting in <laughs> at that kind of earlier end probably worked out very well for you, I would imagine. So you finally found a home in Brooklyn then, it sounds like, or what was that part of the journey like? Well, from the moment we started selling beer um, as a nomadic brewing couple, um, we knew we wanted to open our own space. So it was all kind of in, in a part of the trajectory of opening our own space. We needed to have, we needed to get a loan. And in order to get a loan, we needed three years of tax records. Mm-hmm. So um, three years into operating as a nomadic brewery, we submitted all our application for a small business administration loan and um, and then worked with the government <laughs> to um, to uh, buy a building in Brooklyn and uh, undergo construction um, to make it into a brewery. So um, I think that took another three or two years. Um, so yeah, everything was happening, uh, as soon as we could make it happen. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, you talk about the size of facilities and things like it's very, it's like a chem lab almost kind of with like the, I've seen a few and it's like, wow, this is crazy. So I can only imagine the kind of legwork that goes into creating something like that from nothing. So it took you a while then? It took us a while. I mean, we just had to build up a following first just to be able to justify mm-hmm. being able to get those loans. Um, but for, if anybody's out there that wants to start a business, you know, the the Small Business Administration is actually amazing. And we were able to, you know, buy a building and a bunch of equipment um, with only like 10% down because the you know the program made it possible for us to do that so amazing so you have you've been in your home in where is it in brooklyn um it's in east williamsburg okay cool like you could call it bushburg yes i yeah that bushburg area where all the like nightclubs and like warehousey things are (laughs) it seems like a good place for a brewery for sure all right we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. 
The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. How did this kind of develop into your offshoots now where you're working on wine and pizza? And, you know, I feel like it's awesome to have that variety, but you don't see that a lot. I feel like you see a lot of, you know, breweries are kind of just doing that. So how did you then decide to branch out into other elements of the business? Um, I think all of all of these other efforts have grown uh, organically out of uh, our interest in fermentation. Um, we and just taking sort of small steps based on where we are now to what else we can do with our knowledge base. You know? Yeah, yeah, and our interests. A, a lot of the the wine stuff really grows out of our work with uh, barrel aged sour beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we. We do a lot of stuff with um, either totally spontaneous or or controlled fermentations using different kinds of wild microbes, and then aging the beer um, in the warehouse across the street for one to three years. At this point, I think we have um, like 350 oak barrels uh, in our warehouse across the street. Just like a, you know some some beer and or a lot of beer and some wine. Um, wow. And the the real um, genesis of the wine program was that we were making a lot of beers using local whole fruits that we would, you know, get from local orchards um, in Jersey, Hudson Valley, and places like that. Um, and because these were just small farms, we didn't we weren't able to get the fruit in a format that's like, you know easy to brew with um, mm-hmm. said we would just receive you know flats of red currants <laughs> what are we going to do with these red currants um and we started to research winemaking processes in order to apply them to lots of different fruits we, we we're making sour beers with red currants peaches plums blackberries um you know basically whatever grows here a technique that that we picked up from winemakers was just using carbonic maceration. So we started making lots of carbonically macerated uh, fruit wines as a step to making fruited beers. Um, and then after getting our reps in with that, we were like, well, let's, let's get into grapes. And uh, so we started developing relationships with vineyards out on the North Fork of Long Island. And uh, so now we've got a, a pretty substantial a little natural wine program um, based on basically driving whole cluster grapes the day that they're picked uh, over to our facility from the North Fork and then just carrying out spontaneous fermentations on those grapes. Actually, now we're receiving uh, grapes uh, picked this morning um, at our brewery. Yeah, it's, it's Riesling Day, so... Uh, Yay! We have a- <laughs> tons of Riesling uh, going into the fermenter now. And what type of, what other varieties of wine do you make? Um, we have, right now, we're working a lot with Riesling, Sauve Blanc. Pinot Noir, Merlot, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, so mostly vinifera, um, because that's what's grown 
on Long Island, which is basically the, clo the closest growing region to, to where we're located. I mean, those all sound great. That's a great variety. <laughs> and then where did the pizza restaurant play into all of this? Well, as a brewery, we always have, you know, people in our space um, drinking beer and now drinking wine. And obviously what bears well with that is is delicious food. So Joe and I started to put our heads together to envision what a restaurant could look like at our um, brewery and winery. And um, both of us uh, have been interested in sourdough bread for a long time. Um, you know, I think we going back to the Sander Katz days of our fermentation, um, we um, we had been making sourdough bread in our home and oven. So, um, you know, for years, uh, we've been delving into, you know, traditional French sourdough and thought, well, we'll make that style of bread at our own brewery. Um, but one thing led to another and uh, we realized that, you know, maybe sourdough bread would be a, an early morning kind of a, a um, project, um, whereas pizza would be taking the idea, you know, of sourdough bread making and um, making it into a, an evening uh, experience. Yeah. So um, we, you know, I had already been making sourdough bread with our um, uh, house-made uh, sourdough culture from the, um, the you know, wild beers, wild sour beers that we um, brew in our brewery. So I simply made a recipe um, for pizza dough out of the sourdough, and Joe and I both uh, kind of honed that recipe and our pizza making skills over the past three years <laughs> um, <laughs> in our at our home um and eventually um tweaked the recipe to add um our house milled malted wheat um we used uh the brewer's malt that we um use in our beer to um add you know, flavor and depth to the pizza dough that we were making. Um, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I love to hear that. And so they're all, are they all right like next to each other or it's kind of like they're one in the same. I think I saw that the pizza restaurant is above the brewery or they're kind of, you can have both or how does it work as a patron of the business? Yeah, we, it's, we have a, a, like a space on Metropolitan Avenue here in Brooklyn. And uh, there's three names on it. And if you go into the first floor, you're basically on the brewery floor, which is the original tap room. Mm -hmm. And over the, over the past uh, two, three years, we've built a second floor onto the space, which is like a rooftop patio um, with an indoor space and an outdoor space. And the pizza oven's up there. So the pizza's on the, on the second floor and, and uh, the beer and wine is made on the first floor. Oh, cute. So it's, sort of like, it's sort of like a rooftop patio bar with the mm -hmm. pizza added onto it up there. Oh, okay. I love that. That's like a perfect, a perfect little vibe, um, especially when the weather's nice. 
over there in New York. And do you, I guess, does it kind of shift around a little bit once the weather starts to get colder, um, kind of want more people inside or how does that work? Well, we haven't yet experienced. (laughs) We just opened the roof uh, patio bar um, about two months ago. So this is all very new. Okay. Yeah. I mean, well, congratulations on all of it. It sounds very cool. And I love the fact that they're all kind of weaved together with the same fermentation process. And I guess for those of us who don't have any, I, I personally don't have any experience with fermentation. I've never made a sourdough or anything like that. And what is the difference between what you're calling spontaneous fermentation versus any other variety of such? <laughs> I really don't know anything about it. So how would you explain it like in layman's terms to those who don't aren't as familiar? Um, well, just going back to uh, Joe's initial description of our mm-hmm. homemade mead, <laughs> Um, a a sourdough culture or a spontaneous um, fermentation isn't that different. In fact, the mead that Joe described is a type of spontaneous fermentation. Okay. Um, At this point, we have so many different ways that we uh, ferment uh, various, like, you know, products that we make spontaneously that we do traditional lambic uh fermentations um we do uh, the carbonic maceration with our wine um and then of course the sourdough is an open air um you know capture of uh, of local yeasts um in the ambient environment uh and the difference between that and um any other fermentation is is that everything is captured from the ambient environment whereas um usually somebody would be pitching a cultivated yeast uh, that's um, created in a laboratory um, and purchased in you know like you could go to the grocery store and purchase you know packets of active dry yeast for example right would use to to make bread or pizza and on a larger, you know, on a larger level, you you can do that for wine and beer as well. And those will usually cool. be single culture, right? So if you if you buy a yeast, it's it's like a, a monoculture. It's a one particular organism that makes one particular flavor result. Uh, but if you're capturing your ambient microbes, you're going to get hundreds. And so it's a it's just a very different philosophy of fermentation and it requires a different attitude where what you're what you're trying to do is to prepare the material that's going to be fermented with the right environment so that only the good flavors are are uh, created even though there's going to be you know hundreds of different kinds of of microbes doing the fermentation wow well thank you for explaining you could carry out like a single culture fermentation um, and it's like a higher level of control, but a lower level of complexity in the result, if that makes sense. Got it. Okay. Yes. No, thank you for breaking that down because like I said, I really have no experience with it. And I assume, you know, many, a lot of people got into sourdough, um, over the pandemic, but 
most of us do not have a ton of experience with this. So (laughs) it's cool to hear like how that all plays out. And it's obviously very scientific, it sounds like. And I guess what I'm wondering is how it feels for you both to be, you know, on this journey and have seen what was once kind of a small experiment blossom over time into something that's now three whole businesses. I guess, what is that like for you guys? Is it kind of rewarding to have to look back at how far you've come or what are kind of like the emotions and sentiments behind this? Hmm. I think excitement. Um, it's, I, I, I love seeing our, um, the creation of these different, you know, businesses and, and products coming full circle. Um, you know, we started out making sourdough bread at home and now, um, we're back to that, um, at, you know, I think it's like 13 years later. Yeah. I think the main thing that, that drives us is just, um, just being captivated by the, by the material, right? It's like a constant feedback process where we're, we're doing things and then evaluating the results and then imagining, okay, well, how, how can we make it better or different? And it's just a constant tinkering, a constant iteration of, of ideas and, and evaluation. And, um, I, it's like almost hard for me to like, think about it in, in like the really long view because we're always so much uh, in the now and in terms of just like thinking about what we're, what we're creating and what does that next suggest that we should do? It's all kind of totally. organically growing out of everything else. Um, so I think we're, we're still sort of, um, just in that state of, uh, of curiosity, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think you put it great. I mean, clearly you both have a passion and a love for the material and none of this would have happened if that wasn't the case. So it's kind of cool to see and hear about how far something like that can take you and honing in on a process and like perfecting it and experimenting with it over years and years and years. And now looking at what that's turned into is very cool to hear about. So, I mean, yeah, congrats on all of this. And I hope it's, you know, been going well with the first couple of months of the pizza restaurant and looking forward to see what you both do next. Cause like, it sounds like there's no limit to what you guys can work on with this fermentation um, passion that you have. So it's very, very cool. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, You know, we, we're not, we don't have any real experience being restaurateurs. So this is like, Mm -hmm. this is, challenge for us but uh yeah there was a the reception has been really gratifying uh, the only real that. challenge we have right now is just figuring out how to make the pizzas fast enough because oh. uh you know people don't want to have to wait two hours for their pizza if it's slammed so just trying to, huh. out how to, how to get in our reps and speed up our process and dial it all in a little bit tighter that's kind of where we are Yeah. Well, at least the demand is there. That's not, you know, it's not like the problem is the reverse. So, you know, I guess that'll all come with time. And as you keep working through it and I, I mean, my parents were both in the restaurant industry my whole life, so they weren't owners, but even just knowing what I do know about the restaurant industry, I know that it's a very um, 
demanding yet rewarding one to be in. And, you know, I'm anxious to hear how this all unfolds for you all. And I, you know, clearly you're doing a lot and you have a lot on your plate. So I think that it'll, it'll all work out. I feel good about it. (laughs) Just from talking to you, I'm like, this all sounds great and fun. I'm sure that people, people in New York, just from what I know of New York, I moved down to Florida from there uh, a couple years ago, but I lived in New York for a while and just the whole concept of having that all together and having those sister restaurants attached and being able to be at a brewery and being able to drink wine and have that pizza right there. I think that's a really awesome concept, especially in the neighborhood that you're in. So I feel good about it (laughs) in my humble opinion. It's very fun. Thank you. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here and for telling me all about this and for breaking it down in much, (laughs) much more layman's terms than you're probably used to for me and, you know, our listeners. So I appreciate that and you sharing your story and yeah, congratulations on everything and wishing you nothing but the best. Thank you so so much. much. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.